2020 has been kind of weird, but it's uh, had some good parts of it too. Uh, I've not been historically a social media user, uh, but as we figured out that we weren't going to be able to hang out like we normally do, uh, we and the rest of our staff kind of started hanging out with you all online. I figured out what Facebook Live was and uh, started doing those on Tuesday nights. Has anybody seen any of those that I do with Eleanor? Glad you could join us. Um, we've also posted some questions, not just recently, but throughout uh, our days of having a Facebook page. And many of you, that's where you live. Thanks for hanging out there on Facebook. You've responded to those questions. We, we gave a, a couple questions this past week that kind of pertain to what we're going to talk about today uh, and, and, and the joy that we uh, associate with Christmas. Now, Christmas is a stressful time, one of the most stressful times of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but it's still lots going on. And so we asked you on Facebook, hey, if you could get rid of one Christmas headache, what would it be? And many of you responded, here's some. Jessica said, I would get rid of needing to find that right gift, that perfect gift for the hard to shop for person. Anybody want to be done with that too? And, and as we get older, I think that gets tougher. Uh, several mentioned getting the, the, the decorations out and putting it up. And then a bunch of other people said, getting the decorations down and putting it back. Apparently, we don't like decorations. That'd be one hassle that we, uh, and some of you do. Some of you are all like, you know, Master Griswolds out there. You're completely on it. And I want to thank you for that because I get to drive by your house and feel the Christmas spirit without having to do any of the work. Thank you for that very much. Uh, 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 this is what Judy said. She said, putting on extra pounds. Yeah, that's kind of associated with Christmas, right? Because everything's coated in sugar at Christmas, like even the meat. We just coat everything in sugar. Um, uh, Connie, <laughs> this is very specific. Connie said, I could do without that Mariah Carey song. <laughs> I thought that was very honed in. And Connie uh, sang on our worship team this morning. So for Connie and everybody else who hates it, here it is, the Mariah Carey song. Dance along if you'd like. That is. Oh, thank you. Mariah thanks you, I'm sure. All right. Uh, other people, many people, too many of the list, uh, said traffic. I don't know if that's as big a deal right now, but traffic is one of the headaches that go without tr trying to find a parking spot when you're out shopping uh, was a big uh, winner. Uh, here, here's my favorite, though, and I don't know why this is my favorite. Maybe because I re uh, relate to it. A, a guy named Brian, one of the only guys who responded to our, uh, our questions, uh, said, yeah, um, the thing I could go without is having to update everybody's Apple device on Christmas. It's a very specific complaint. Apparently, there's a story tied to that somewhere. The second question we asked you is not just, hey, what, what, what headache would you forego? But uh, what's something, not necessarily at Christmas, but just something in general that, that generally gets you hyped? What, what, what fires you up? Laura wrote in and said, caffeine, like all capitals, exclamation point. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you are experiencing that right now. Um, Tegan, uh, you know, a young lady that I love uh, and know, she, she wrote in and she said Christmas music because in her home she is known for, you know, Christmas music starting in early October. Hey, Christmas music, that reminds me of this song. Do you know this song? All right, everybody on the course. Here we go. Ready? All I want for Christmas is you. All right, all right. That's dumb. All right. 
But hey, you can have fun at church every once in a while. All right. Denise wrote in and we asked her what pumped her up. She said Friday. Anybody else got that one? Friday pump you up? Yeah, she loves Fridays. Uh, lots of people said vacations, which is just kind of a longer Friday. Is everybody with me on that? Um, Carol wrote in and said being with family and friends, and lots of you uh, shared that sentiment. But my favorite one was this one. Brenda wrote in and she said, cold weather fires me up. And as a northerner, as a polar bear from northern Maine, I am right there with Brenda, man. This last little cold snap, having to put on a sleeve. How about that? That was fun. <laughs> well, we posed all of those questions today. And thank you, everybody who contributed. Be looking on our Facebook page for other ways that you can show up in our sermons. But uh, um, that, that whole line of questioning was around what we're going to talk about today. Um, because like I said earlier, uh, Christmas is this season associated with joy. Probably more than any other period of our year, uh, we talk about joy. It's on our signs and our churches. It's on our wrapping paper. I got a whole roll of wrapping paper just says joy over and over and over again. It's even on our Christmas cards. My little sister's uh, family Christmas card came this week in the mail. And it's, you guys, do, a lot of you do these. You, you get pictures from the year and, and they're all surrounding the word joy. And on the back, Computers are awesome. You can actually, you know, type in all the things that happened with your family this year and the joy that came from those things. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. But um, here's the deal. At this most wonderful time of the year and, and throughout life, um, joy can be elusive. Anybody with me on this? We can lose sight of the joy that we have. Uh, in our relationship with God, in life in general, we can just kind of get down in the dumps and, and be uh, defeated and, and without joy, without hope. Um, certainly in this past year, we've had opportunities for that, right? Because pandemics and all the other craziness that's been associated with 2020. Um, 18, what is it? 19 more days and we're done. We get a different year. Yay. Shake the etsy sketch. Yeah, right. Um, but... Uh, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to be, uh, last week when Travis was speaking, he did a phenomenal job. I'm so grateful for him. But uh, I was supposed to be up in Ohio picking up my mom and driving her back to not just spend Christmas with us, but to spend the next few months with us. And uh, we'd already put that off because of COVID you know, earlier in the fall. And, and so I, I had a flight schedule and everything. And, and she called me up and she said, hey, uh, Mark, you know, just, you know, uh, with an abundance of caution and just all the things that are going on, you know, I just, I'd feel safer staying here with your sister and all those things. And it, listen, mom, I don't know which service you watch, but if you're watching this one, that's totally fine. It's totally fine. But it's been a disruptive type of year. Things that you'd hoped for. Maybe, maybe you're look, you know, you usually go and visit family around this time of year and you're just not going to do that this year because you're not going to do that. And, uh, and these are the things, um, that are just prevalent in a world that is broken not just by pandemics and greater societal ills, but um, marred by sin. Sin kind of sucks the joy out of life. Have you noticed this? And, uh, and so we wanted to talk about that throughout this month. Uh, that's why we titled the series that we're in, Joy to the World. It's more than just the song that we sing at Christmas. It's what we can have if we walk in step with the God who gives joy. Uh, Travis started us off last week and, and taught us this very important thing. And I, I think most of you know this, but if you don't, let me remind you or introduce this to you for the first time. Joy is not a feeling. It's not happiness or sadness or any other feelings we have. Joy, uh, as defined here by a guy named N.T. Wright, a great theologian, says it's, it's not a feeling. It's a way of approaching the world that is informed by God's saving actions. So, so joy isn't something that we feel. It's, it's, it's a mindset that we bring to life. 
It's a choice that we make. We get to wake up every day and decide whether we're going to live in joy, with joy, from a foundation of joy, or to just live without it. It's a mode that we operate in. It's, it's something that God freely and willingly, uh, lovingly gives us if we choose to accept it. So it is that we can come to any circumstance in life and approach it with joy. And that leads us to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Who's ever seen this on a coffee cup at another Christian's house? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Anybody seen that one before? Have you supposed that that's in the Bible somewhere? It's, it is, just so you know, it's in the Bible. Do you know where? We're going to tell you today. Nehemiah, this off-sighted book, especially at Christmas time. Great Christmas book. Nehemiah is where we find that statement. It comes from a conversation that uh, a prophet named Ezariah and this governor named Nehemiah have uh, around 450 AD with, with Jews who had gathered from a remnant from captivity and, and places beyond back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now, we're going to read the story in just a second, but, but uh, at the close of what we're studying today, this is what Ezra and Nehemiah say to uh, these Jewish uh, family friends of theirs. They say, do not be grieved, Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, my hope today is that we walk out of here reminded of what the joy of the Lord is, strengthened by it, and choosing it in whatever we face in life. So let's read uh, Nehemiah 8 together. Excuse me, but uh, before I do that, just a quick update or or recap of what happens in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this uh, Jew who's living in uh, Persia, Susa, the capital of Persia. He's actually working uh, for the Persian government. He's the cupbearer of the king. That means he tastes the wine before the king, a guy named Artaxerxes tastes it, so that if the wine's poisoned, he dies instead of the king. Can you imagine living in a world where you have to have everybody or everything you're, you know, uh, ingesting uh, tested before uh, you put it in your face because it might be what kills you? Anyway, that's that's his job. Uh, There's other parts to it, but that's that's the main thrust. He's just hanging out, minding his own business, and someone from Jerusalem who has visited his homeland comes and tells him about the state of the city uh, that he has cherished in his heart. And... uh, finds out that it's in ruin. It's the, the walls are on the ground. And, and walls are a big deal for a city. In the, in the ancient world, if you didn't have walls, you didn't have a city. You, your city was only as, as great as your walls. Uh, and so this just tore up his heart. And Nehemiah began to pray to God in chapter 1. And he asked God at the close of that chapter for favor as he goes and visits this man. He's talking about the king. As a slave, he's going to ask his boss, can I get some time off? Not only that, can I get a gift card to Home Depot? Because I want to head back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Well, the rest of the story unfolds, and that's exactly what happens. There's lots of ups and downs, uh, great things to learn as you study the book of Nehemiah. But the end game is, is that uh, over time, he and these, uh, this ragtag bunch of uh, Jewish returners, uh, you know, people who had come back from the exile, they, they rebuild, rebuild the walls. And, and they're kind of at the phase now or the stage now where they're beginning to celebrate their work. And that's where we start reading in chapter 8. Verse 1 says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, not the Nixon one. This is just an actual gate that was in the walls of the city there in Jerusalem. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring back or bring out the book of the law of Moses that the Lord uh, had uh, commanded Israel. So here's, here's why that's significant. 
these uh, Jews, not unlike who we've been studying in Exodus. Remember the story of, of Israel when they were in captivity in Egypt? Uh, there was 400 years of history that basically, you know, moves forward. And, and the generation that Moses comes to and emancipates from, from the slavery in Egypt doesn't know really anything about the God that they're supposed to be worshiping. They don't know the God of their forefathers. And so we kind of have that same situation here. These, these Jews who have come out of captivity have, have been gone so long from the Jewish faith that they need a refresher. And so they ask Ezra to read them the law of Moses. So verse two, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, he did this. Now, just a real quick uh, Jewish calendar lesson. Anybody heard the words Rosh Hashanah? That's the Jewish new, week, new Year. You and I celebrate our New Year on the first day of the first month. They celebrate their New Year on the first day of the seventh month, a month called Tishri. And it's 10 days before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But this Rosh Hashanah celebration is, is actually uh, uh, a celebration called the Feast of Trumpets. And it goes back to uh, a portion that, of scripture that we've uh, been studying this past fall. In, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, Moses and Israel are about to head up uh, towards Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And, and they purify themselves and sanctify themselves. And then they blow trumpets. And this is hearkening back. So if you've ever seen like a, you know, a, a Jewish priest holding the, the shofar, the ram's horn, and blowing out of that thing, that's Exodus 19. That's Rosh Hashanah. That's Feast of Trumpets. There. That was fun, right? So this is what happens on this first day of the seventh month on Rosh Hashanah. And, and Ezra stands there at the water gate and he reads it. Uh, reads this scroll from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and all those who can understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that very purpose. And then a whole bunch of guys whose names I'm not going to try to say uh, uh, because they're just really weird, uh, but uh, whose names are worth writing there because they, they were kind of like the chieftains or the, the government officials. They stood there next to Ezra uh, as, as representatives of their people groups. Uh, and, and Ezra verse five continues. He opens the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and he opened it uh, to, for, for, and as he opened, this is big, as he opened it, all the people stood. As we're reading the story, I think it's appropriate as we read God's word for everybody to stand. Would you stand with me if you're here in this room or next door in the room or at home even if you'd be willing to do so that? It's symbolic uh, and representative of what's happening here. Uh, so the people stand, verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen and amen, lifting up their hands. Anybody with me? How about it? Amen and amen. And we lifted up our hands. You can put them down. Uh, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord's with their faces to the ground. Completely optional. I'm going to keep going. Verse 7 says this, and also a bunch of other guys, not the same list as the list before, but a bunch of other guys who it tells us in verse 7 were Levites. Who are the Levites? Priests. They were the priest tribe. The Levites uh, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense uh, that was necessary for the people to understand so that they could understand what they were reading. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And then he said to them, probably Ezra, go your way 
Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. It's Rosh Hashanah. And do not be grieved, he says again. And here it is. Everybody say it with me. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have a seat. May God bless the reading of his word. We're going to unpack those 10 verses, uh, starting with verse 9. Verse 9 teaches us a very important principle about God's word. God's word is a bearer of bad news. It doesn't hold back. It starts off three chapters in, we hear the bad news of sin entering into the world for the first man and woman. But then as it continues to tell the stories of subsequent men and women, have you ever wondered about this? The Bible tells all the the failures. It it, it reveals all of the horrible stuff uh, that these men and women, these heroes of our book go through. I, I think that's what makes the Bible a believable book. It doesn't sugarcoat or try to gloss over the failures of man, it, it brings them to the fore, it highlights them, and it does it for a very specific purpose. We'll get to that in a second. But look what it says in verse 9 again. It says uh, uh, that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, uh, they, they said this to the people, this day is holy to the Lord of God. Do not mourn or weep. Why? Because all the people there who had listened to the word of God all morning were crying. Anybody pick that up as I read it the first time? Wait a minute. Why is everybody crying? We're standing in this rebuilt city. Uh, Ezra had come years before and had started the work on the, on the new temple. Uh, these walls that Nehemiah had just successfully built with you know, incredible uh, you know, uh, things against him and his fellow builders. I mean, this is not a time for sorrow. It's a time for celebration. It'd be like winning you know, the, uh, the, the Super Bowl and everybody on the winning team just starts crying. But these people are crying. Why? What, what was it that Ezra had read from the law of Moses that brought them to tears? Well, uh, maybe he, they had uh, read the stories of how their ancestors, their forefathers, had seen these incredible miracles going back to the 10 plagues maybe in the book of Exodus and, and, and the way that they were freed from Egypt and, and led across the Red Sea on dry land and the way that God had rained bread from heaven and provision to them and the way that he had brought water from a rock and, and so they could drink. And they read all these things and then still their ancestors rebelled against this God who did so much for them. Maybe they, they read the, the word and as, as Ezra was reading it, they, they saw the character of God as revealed in his, his laws, his commandments. And they, they understood that they were in offense to this holy God who had done so much for them. Whatever it was, maybe it was a bit of both, it brought them to a point of like visceral contrition to the brink of, of a needed repentance they realized and owned the mess that they had made of life, and it brought them low. Now, this is an important part of uh, our belief, our faith. You've got to be brought low so that you can be lifted up. You've got to understand your need before you can be saved. Jesus is teaching in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, he, he goes on for three chapters uh, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, but he starts with these blessings. They're called the Beatitudes. And, and these blessings start like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What an interesting way to start. Like if I'm kicking off a sermon, I don't start with uh, this kind of riddle statement. Blessed are the poor. Wait a minute. The poor aren't blessed. They're the opposite of blessed. They got nothing. 
But Jesus says, no, 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 this is where we start. We start with understanding that the truly blessed people are the ones who understand that they are poor in spirit. But spiritually, they don't have two sticks to rub together. There's nothing in them that could ever attain for them the righteousness that God has. It goes on and it says this, blessed are those who what? Mourn. Well, that's what we're talking about in Nehemiah. So apparently all the criers in Nehemiah are blessed people. Because what are they mourning for? They're mourning over the condition of humanity, over the sinfulness of their lives and the lives of others. I was reading uh, earlier this week about a, a preacher named William Bridge. He preached in the 17th century in England and he talked about uh, the word of God as being like a mirror. I don't mean to blind you if this is reflecting the lights, but the mirror has, yeah, there you go. The mirror has uh, uh, three components to it. This is what William Bridge says. He says, when you look at a mirror, first of all, you see the mirror. It's a mirror, right? But then why do you look at a mirror? Well, you look at a mirror so that you can see you. Do your hair. Make sure your buttons are buttoned right. But then, unwittingly, there's a third thing that you see. When you look in a mirror, you can see everybody else. What's up, Elliot? Hey, everybody. You can see all that's behind you. And he went on to talk about the Word of God being like a mirror. When we look at the Word of God, we see God. That's what the Word of God is. It's the revealing words of God. But when you look at the Word of God, you can't help but see you because you're in there. You're lumped in, like it says in Romans, with those who are not righteous, no, not one. You're in there, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are in there. But it's not just us that's in there, it's everybody else that's in there. The whole world. When we look to God and his word, we see us in our lostness, and we see the lostness of everybody else. That's why God gave us his revelation. That's why he gave us his word. So that we could see our need, that it would break our hearts and drive us to him as our savior. That's what happens over and over again in the story. People fail and God rescues. But let's go back to what Nehemiah says here. He says, do not mourn or weep. Ezra and Nehemiah say, this is a holy day for the Lord our God. Don't mourn or weep. And he says that because, listen, when, when we come to God, when we hear from his word, the condition of man's souls and, and, and we see the lostness of, of our humanity and our depravity, don't stay there. Don't mire in the muck that is our sin. Rejoice in the fact that God, over and over again, in the story of humanity, sends grace in the forms of of the law and in the form of his son Jesus especially and he brings us out of the bad news into good news. God's word brings good news of great joy. Where have I heard that before? I think that sounds like Christmas. Anybody remember watching Charlie Brown? Linus gets up and he says this. Luke chapter two verse eight. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, say it with me, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. On this dark night to a dark world, without hope, the messengers of God fill the night sky with a light that makes all the pupils shrink. And they give the good news of the arrival of God's only son who will come to earth and live a perfect life and in doing so become the right sacrifice, the only sacrifice for your sins and mine. He'll die taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins on himself so that when we believe in him and what he's done, we might be saved. He'll raise from the grave and conquer death so that we in him might do that as well. Good news, great joy. Throughout the story of scripture, uh, this pattern is followed. Uh, here's the bad news, now here's the good news. How do, how do you do it when you get the option? You wanna hear the bad news or the good news? I always start with the bad news, I wanna end with the good. And that's what the Bible does, here's the bad news. Now here's the good news. Fast forward in Jesus' life, he's, he's died and resurrected, he's spent 40 days hanging out with his disciples, he's told them what we've accepted as our uh, you know, commission uh, to go and make disciples. And so his disciples are hanging out in an upper room on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2. They're all able to walk out of that room and speak languages that none of them knew. Wouldn't that be cool? No Rosetta Stone, nothing like that. You just knew it. And everybody in the streets who knew those languages are like, what's up? The Jewish fishermen are talking my language. And they gather and a huge crowd is there. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first gospel message of the church age. And it starts out with some pretty bad news. He says, hey guys, God sent his only son. He's the Christ, the Lord. And it finishes in verse 36 with saying this, and you, and he points at people. I'm picturing him pointing at people. You killed him. You were there yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Just a couple months ago, when he was convicted of things he never did. That was the bad news. And the same reaction that these people in Nehemiah had is the reaction the people in, on, in the streets of Jerusalem had that day. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Maybe there was weeping. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And here comes the good news. Peter says this. He says, hey, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like we've got right now. He goes on, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone and anyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Good news. The bad news doesn't stay. God loves us enough to change the story. Travis talked about it last week in Psalm 30, verse 5, when he said, Hey, man, uh, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Later in that same psalm, uh, the, the psalmist goes on to say this about God. He says, You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, a sign of, of mourning, and you've clothed me with gladness. Oh, may that be what we walk out of here today remembering. We, we don't have to live in, in mourning and weeping. We've been saved from the bad news if our faith is in Christ, and we've been given the good news of life with him. That's why he goes on, and he says in verse 10 
of Nehemiah chapter 8. He says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this is the day uh, that is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved. Bad news, got to deal with it, got to recognize it, got to understand it, but it's not where we are now, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. You've ever seen that statement on coffee cups, that joy of the Lord is our strength thing? Um, I understand it in different ways than I did before I started studying this week. When I think of the joy of the Lord, um, I probably just defaulted to like happiness. I'm happy. But again, the joy of the Lord is, is something that um, makes us content, that, that, that steers us through life no matter if we're happy or sad, no matter if we have a lot or we have none. Joy is this inner conviction. And so what is the joy of the Lord? It's, it's us having joy in God. That's just recognizing that he is who he is and we are who we are, that he has anything to do with us, that he's, like we sang earlier, awesome, perfect. We can have joy in him and in his very existence. We can receive joy from him. Everything we have has come from God. Does everybody get that? I know it kind of went through your, you know, your job and into your bank account and all those things. But if you've got anything, health, life, stuff, blessing from God. And you can have joy from God. And certainly we should have joy with God. He's with us in life. We're with him in life. We can rejoice in the things that he rejoices in. So the joy of the Lord is all of those things. It's our joy in him, our joy from him, our joy with him. What's strength? Strength is this Hebrew word. Everybody say it with me. Mauzakem. That's a fun one, isn't it? Mauzakem means your strength. It's, it's, it's basically this word that's most often translated in our Bibles as fortress or um, refuge or stronghold, but it's this word that basically means uh, any means of safety. When I think of uh, the joy of the Lord being our strength, that, that strength for me uh, kind of rests in, in two categories. It's the, the protection of God from the stuff that would hurt me in life, and it's the provision or the power of God to live life. When I think protection, I think sun, uh, sunscreen. Anybody wear this? Anybody pale like me? Every time I go golf and I got to slather this on, it's like I'm wearing a, a white shirt underneath my, my short sleeves because it's just on so thick. But I wear this so that I don't, um, I'm not harmed by the UV rays. Um, God provides us in his joy, this protection, this stronghold, this fortress that is himself. He, he grants us his power. Yeah, when my kids were young, uh, we didn't have uh, electronic versions of this lightsaber. We just had the telescopic ones that they could beat each other with. Anybody remember those? They've gotten uh, a little bit more technical now. Now you can. That's hypnotic. Uh, but this is all dependent on this little compartment right here uh, that has a couple of these in it. Smaller than this, but... Uh, so you can see it, a couple of these. Everybody understands the, uh, the battery principle. Here's what I thought about this week. Uh, if these are humans, uh, lights, follow me. If, if lightsabers are humans, there's all kinds of humans, like seven billion plus, we're almost up to eight billion of us, right? Uh, but there's, there's all these humans that are just kind of living life, but there's only a select, uh, too few, only a select few that are living with the batteries. There's, there's tons of people out there who are going through life uh, and experiencing all the same things that we're experiencing, but they're experiencing it apart from the joy of the Lord that can give them strength. And you and I, if we put our faith in Jesus, we have plugged in. We get to walk in this life with him. 
With the time that I've left, I just want to uh, briefly describe for us how it is that we can become what I call joy strong. Uh, Lance Armstrong, uh, yeah, he had this whole campaign when he had his cancer to, to live strong as a member of the yellow bracelets. And then uh, I remember seven years ago in Boston, the, the Boston Marathon, there was a bombing. And, and everywhere in Boston you went, there were shirts that said Boston strong. People have kind of taken on this strong thing for whatever suits their purposes. And I totally missed an opportunity. I should have printed up T-shirts for every one of us that said joy strong because that's the Christ life. We live joy strong. How is it that we become joy strong? This, this text helps us at least uh, in some ways understand the path to living uh, with the joy of the Lord of our, as our strength. It starts with us desiring to know God. We have to want it. That's, that's you know, probably a given. People, you know, like, yeah, Mark, go on to the next one. But this is one of the most fleeting things. I've been studying Hebrews with my life group on Thursday mornings, and it talks about this, this group of people. Hebrews is written to a bunch of people who are about to abandon their faith. And he describes them as, as, as people who are sluggish. They've just kind of started to not want to follow Jesus anymore. They're doing it. They're showing up at church. They're probably, you know, glad to get a letter from whoever wrote Hebrews. But... Their, their fire, their passion is waning. And the joy of the Lord being our strength depends on our want to. That's why I love what the, the Jews in Jerusalem did on this day as we start the story. They, they went looking for Ezra. And they said, Ezra, grab your scroll and come read it to us. It's a pastor's dream. All right, because pastors, you know, we set up all these appointments and just hope someone shows. Thanks for coming this morning, by the way. Good to have you. I trust you're here because you want to be. But for everybody who's here because you had to be so that you could keep peace in your house and she wouldn't lay into you later this afternoon, for everybody who's here because it's your habit to be here and you don't know what else to do on Sunday morning except show up, whether it's in this room or online, I want you to move past those and not settle for those um, motivations anymore. I want you to understand that this life with God is a get-to, not a got-to, it's what we are privileged to have. It's not something we've earned or deserved. It's something he by grace has given us. And he wants us to want him. Cheap trick. And he wants us to move forward in life with him. So that he can have all of us as we seek to have all of him. Yeah. Matthew 5 goes on and it talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they're the ones who are truly satisfied. In the Psalms, it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's, it's, it's likening life uh, to a deer who's escaping its hunter. And he's been running all night. And I'm longing for you, God, like a deer who's been running for his life, longs for streams of water to refresh his soul. We need to want it if we're going to experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. We need to make time for it. We need to take time to know God. It says in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2, that uh, Ezra brought the law before the assembly, and they, uh, he read it to men and women, and anybody who could understand. He did it on this first day of the seventh month on Rosh Hashanah, and he read it facing the square before the water gate from when? Early morning until midday. We're talking. Early morning was like 6. Midday is noon. That's a six-hour service. Who's coming? Anybody coming? Some of you are like, no, this one's already gotten too long. 
mean, hurry up, Mark. I mean, I got to get lunch in. Football starts at one. I got all this other stuff I got to do. I mean, there's people online right now being like, he's, I mean, he's on the clock. The egg timer has been flipped. And if he's not done, we're, you know, and no one will even know, right? Because we'll just log off. Yeah. And listen, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, time equals a quality relationship with God, but I'm saying this, no time certainly does equal a, a, a less quality relationship with God. If you, and that's, that's just true in anything. If you don't put the work in, the time in, you're not going to get anything out of whatever you're doing in life. I mean, watch cooking shows. Anybody seen a cooking show? Just me? So cooking shows are always timed. Like chopped, it's like you get 20 minutes to make a you know, seven-course meal. Or these baking shows, you get three hours to you know, bake a cake as big as a car. You know, uh, and, and so people, people start out, and they, they start out kind of at a slower pace, and they start realizing the clock's ticking down. And then all of a sudden, it is just a melee. It's just a panic and they're just throwing stuff on a plate so they can be, you know, put before the judges and they're, you know, taking a fire hose and they're squirting icing on this, you know, truck sized cake. And, and it looks a mess. Why? Because they didn't put the time in necessary for it to be right. And so it is with the Christ life. People think that they can just, you know, punch up a website for an hour on a Sunday, hang out in a room for an hour on a Sunday and then go on with the rest of life and they wonder, why don't I feel the joy of the Lord? Why, don't I, why am I not in, infused with this power that the Bible speaks of? You just haven't spent some time. It's the God who gives it. You gotta want it, you gotta make time for it. You gotta <laughs> allow what God says in his word to move you to action. I love that when the word of God was read, everybody stood up. It's a sign of honor. I love that when... Uh, Whatever Ezra, you know, started, you know, reading about, uh, got to a point where the people said amen and amen and raised their hands and worship to a God, just as the word was being read for six or seven hours, right? I love that when they got to the sad parts, it was visceral. They just fell on their faces, worshiping God, repenting and lamenting. Oh, that that would be us, that when we want God and take the time to get to know God, he would affect us in such a way that it changes how we live, how we act, the things we think and say and do. There's more. It goes on, it talks about all those priests that, that helped uh, the people who were hearing the word read understand. You know, isn't it great that we have each other? Like if we don't know things, like I love Thursday mornings and I hope you love your life groups as well. But when we get together on a Thursday morning, we're just, we're all trying to figure out God together. We're reading his word and talking about the things that he's revealed to us as we study it. It's just awesome. And we get, you know, Christianity is a team sport and the joy of the Lord being our strength is a lot of times going to depend on other people reminding us and and enlightening us and, and, and taking us in, in directions that we've never been before because they've gone before us into this certain phase of the Christ life. The last thing uh, is this, that you know, when Nehemiah finishes in, in chapter eight, verse 10, he, he says, hey guys, go and rejoice and, and share the joy that you have with other people. Look what it says there in verse 10. It says, uh, then he said to him, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that. Joy is not meant to terminate with you and me. Does everybody get that? 
We receive the joy of the Lord as our strength and it empowers us and protects us and leads us in life. But then we get to share that with those around us. Imparting the joy that we've been given. That's why it says later in the New Testament, always be ready to give an account of the joy that is in you, right? Always be ready to share the joy. I love being a part of a sharing church. You guys continue to, to give towards God's work. You know, we got almost 400 uh, gifts for little kids during a gift of hope all set up. Um, just every time we've thrown those uh, you know, challenges out to you, again and again, this church has been just responsive and generous. But let's not leave it at toys and gravy packets or whatever we've you know, put together in the past. Those things are great. But let's be the givers of the joy that God has given us. Got a challenge for you this week. I don't know if you have any of these laying around at your house. Anybody got one of these laying around at your house? Take a dead one. Apparently, if you put one of these live ones in your pocket next to your key fob or your phone, you'll disintegrate your leg or something. Someone told me that after. But, uh, uh, but grab a battery. Walk around with a battery in your pocket all week. Uh, every time you take your stuff out, set it next to there. Do it for two reasons. One is a reminder to you. A reminder that we have the joy of the Lord as our strength. God and his joy, the joy that we have in him and from him and with him empowers us to face whatever we face in life. When you look at the battery, remember the joy. Is everybody with me? That's the first reason. But the second reason is this. I hope you set this out on a dinner table or a lunch table as you're having lunch with a friend or on your desk and someone walks by and says, what's the battery? Just kick the door open and be like, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about the joy of the Lord. It's my strength. It's what I learned about. It's always meant to be my strength. Sometimes I, 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 I wane, I, I wander, but it's a choice that I get to make. You want to hear more about it? It's a great setup. Grab a battery. Remember the joy. In this season and in all seasons, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's sing.